This audio recording is of our regular Sunday service, June 4th, 2017, at Restoration Road Church in Snohomish, Washington. The speaker is Brian Kirkman. More information can be found at restorationroadchurch.com. Amen. Thank you, Russell. Good morning. Thank you for being here this morning. I'm Brian Kirkman, one of the four pastors here at Restoration Road Church. And we will be continuing our summer sermon series in 2 Timothy. You'll hear several different pastors this summer, including some guest pastors from uh, our three-strand network of churches. Uh, While Sam Ford is out on sabbatical, this morning we're continuing through 2 Timothy, covering chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. So if if you have your Bibles, please turn with me there. Second Timothy, one through seven. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, your inspired word, Lord. And as we come to understand what the meaning is here for us today, We depend upon your Holy Spirit to illumine our minds and to teach us what we are to take away from this text. Lord, I ask that you would remove me and my thoughts and my words. May your words endure for your people. Lord, I ask that we would be humble before you to do whatever you tell us, that we would fall in humble obedience before you and surrender to your word and the power that it should have in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Mark Hoxo launched us into our series on 2 Timothy. And he gave us a good primer on Paul and on Timothy. I want us to think back to what we learned about Paul and Timothy. Who was Paul? Who was Timothy? When you think back, I'm asking you, actually I'm urging you to remember at a heart level, at a soul level. This is the way that God wants us to approach his word and to remember his word. At a heart level and at a soul level. Jesus says in Matthew 22, 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. As you think back and consider Paul, and as you think about Timothy, 
Think of them as real people that you will someday get to meet in heaven. Think of how Paul remembered Peter, or Paul remembered Timothy. Think of how he uh, remembered him when he said, I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith. What kind of remembering is this? Was Paul remembering with his mind? Was he feeling with his heart? Was there a deep personal and spiritual connection in his remembering of Timothy? As we journey through these first few verses of 2 Timothy together this morning, I want us to deeply consider three things. The family of faith, the gifts that God has given, and the spirit that God has given to us. Let us let God's word penetrate deep into your mind and into your heart, giving it the power to transform your beliefs, your motivations, and your life. Let it fundamentally change you into worshipers who are unshackled and free and empowered by the truth of God's love and his grace. Now let's dig into verse 1 and put these eternal truths in our hearts. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Paul was called to be an apostle, and he was writing to Timothy and to everyone who would receive a copy of this letter because of Jesus. We have this letter in our hands because of Jesus, and he wants us to know who we are in him, what safety what love, what purpose, and what power we have in Christ. God's will for Paul is all about Jesus and his life. He died for our sins. He died for Paul's sins. If you are not resting in this promise of life, this is the first place for you. This is where you need to start. He died for every selfish thing that you've done, and he calls you today through his word and by his Holy Spirit to surrender to this truth and receive the promise of life that he has secured for you through his death on the cross. Let's go through verse 2 through 5. To Timothy, <clears throat> my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now I am sure dwells in you as well. I wanted us to go over that again to see in it that God calls out and mentions family five times. God calls Timothy his beloved child. Paul proclaims a blessing from God the Father in Christ Jesus. God the Father, that father aspect is the second time he mentions family. Then, Paul mentions his ancestors, 
And then he mentions his grandma, Timothy's grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice. When it comes to our faith, the Bible teaches that family is important. First, we see that father-son spiritual bond between Paul and Timothy. Then Paul reminds us of the familial nature of God in the Trinity when he speaks a blessing from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. In the Holy Trinity, we see family relationship that is embodied for us as an example between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In our earthly relationships and family and with each other are to reflect the beautiful unity and diversity that is in the Trinity. Now, verse 3 is interesting. Paul writes, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors. Paul is not boasting of his pedigree. He's actually placing himself beneath the God he serves and behind those who have walked the path of obedience before him. He did not depart from his Jewish heritage when he went out to the Gentiles to which he was called. Instead, he invited the Gentiles into that rich heritage And he tells us in Romans 4 that Abraham is the father of all who believe in the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus. The point that Paul is trying to make here is that many, many thousands, even millions have gone before him that he depends upon. They've shown not only an example of obedience, walking in the truth of God, but he actually we have this message of God here because of their faithfulness. They carried this message throughout the ages. Paul and Timothy had the Old Testament because of the care that the Jews had to preserve the Word of God, the Old Testament. We have the New Testament because of the copying and sharing of the New Testament books and letters by the early Christians across Europe and Asia and Africa. In verse 5, Paul reminds Timothy that the sincere faith, faith that now dwells in him before dwelt in his grandmother and his mother. If you have a Christian family by birth or by adoption, isn't it a great joy and comfort? If you do not have any family or relatives who know Christ, isn't it a miracle how God creates family around you that you did not even know about? Please turn with me to Psalm 68, 3 through 6. Psalm 68, 3 through 6. <clears throat> In verse 3 of Psalm 68, But the righteous shall be glad, they shall exalt before God, They shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity 
but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. You see, he's given us brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers in the family of God. Paul reminds Timothy of his grandmother and his mother because they taught him to trust in the Lord. 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, which is just a page over from our text today. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, 14 through 15 says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. And how from from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The original Greek for the word childhood means either a newborn baby or an unborn baby or embryo. Now, obviously, unborn babies aren't acquainted with Scripture, and neither are newborns. But this shows the care with which Timothy's grandmother and mother were taught him from even the youngest ages. And Paul says that by this teaching, children are able to come to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. If you have children, there's no greater gift that you can give them than a love for God's Word. When you give them their first Bible, Show them how to look up the Bible verses and how to read along when you read the scriptures together as a family. This could be one of the most exciting moments of their entire life if you make it so. This goes for grandparents too. In our church, we're actually blessed with our very own grandmother Lois. So this verse is preached to us through her life example. As we move on to verses 6 and 7, In chapter 1, we recognize that Paul just pep-talked Timothy, and he encouraged him. He says, my son, I deeply care about you. You We have great people, both of us, who have gone before us. And this baton passing is nothing new. You see, Paul was about to die after the writing of 2 Timothy, which we'll come to later in in the book. But he has some important things to share with Timothy before he departs. And he wants Timothy to listen carefully to his instruction. Verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. This is the first explicit instruction to Timothy. He's told to fan into flame the gift that God has given him. In some translations, that word, it says to rekindle or or refresh instead of fan into flame. It's like it's died down and it needs to be rekindled. Timothy has been taking care of the spiritual needs of others for some time now. And most likely he was using his gift in some capacity But it seems as though Timothy has grown weary and tired and his gift was not burning as brightly as it once did. We also read of this account of the laying on of hands and the gift being given to Timothy just back in 1 Timothy. So turn with me to 1 Timothy 4, 13 through 16. 
So 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 13. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep close watch on yourself and on the teaching. The verses in Timothy, 1 Timothy 4 teach that Paul didn't just choose Timothy on his own, but there was a council of elders together with Paul who laid their hands on Timothy and committed him to the work of ministry. We call this ordination. It is so important for all of us to see that this is not the first time that Timothy ministered or took care of the spiritual needs of others. And second, Timothy still had to put effort into what God had gifted him. Timothy, as with every other believer, is called to be light in this dark world and to give hope to this world, the hope of the gospel, to evangelize, to make disciples. We believe in the priesthood of all believers, as Peter teaches us, in 1 Peter 2.5, other than Sunday preaching, overseeing the administration of the Lord's Supper, defining the official doctrine of the church, and <clears throat> administering discipline when necessary, which are reserved for pastors, the rest of the ministry, and I would say most of the ministry of this church, should be done collectively among all of us. We are all called to soul care for Christians, caring for the spiritual needs of others. God told Timothy and Paul to serve him in this way before they had a title, a pastor or apostle. Each of us Christians are to consider the spiritual needs of those around us and to help one another to grow up into maturity in Christ. Also, this teaches us that you don't have to have a gift. As I said, Timothy was already doing the work that his later gift enabled him to do better. What do, what do you like to do? What are you good at? Can you make that at your mission to take who you are, who God has made you to be, and the gifts and the abilities that he has given you, and use that for his kingdom to teach others about the grace and love of Christ. Can you apply 1 Timothy 4, what it talks about as far as Paul's instruction to Timothy, and apply that to your own personal mission? It says to devote yourself. How can we devote ourselves to the things that we already know that God has given us the ability to do? It says do not neglect the gift you have. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress and keep close watch on yourself. So as we transition to verse 7 of 2 Timothy 1, start looking at the spirit that he has given us. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, 
but of power and love and self-control. This gets to the crux of the problem and why his gift needed to be rekindled. Timothy was fearful and he was worried. If you've read 1 and 2 Timothy, you can see why he would be. Not only was Paul in prison here in 2 Timothy and about to be executed, there are many false teachers who are trying to draw away the believers, draw them away from the truth. In his natural self, in his sinful nature, Timothy just wanted to shrink back from the mission that God had called him to. Timothy hadn't completely given up, but he had allowed his effectiveness to dwindle. He was spending more time worrying, worrying about what might go wrong, and less time immersed in the things that God had gifted him to do. But Paul says that not the spirit, <clears throat> that this is not the spirit that was given to Timothy. Paul does not explicitly tell Timothy to do something, but rather to remind him of what he already knows and believes. Think about something that you know you should be doing, something important, but you're just not doing it. Think about that for a moment. Something that is important that you know you should be doing that you're just not doing. So why aren't you? It's because of some conscious or some conscious thought. It might be as simple as, I don't want to. It's just plain disobedience. Or it might be a subtle lie that has slipped into your thinking. 2 Corinthians 5 or 10.5 tells us to take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's what's going on here in this verse, in verse 7. Paul is telling, telling Timothy to get his thoughts and his spirits aligned with the truth of God's grace and love. It is important to clarify a couple of things here. The Bible instructs us to fear God. This fear of God that we're supposed to have as believers actually helps us to obey Him, even in the face of danger or even death. Which brings me to my second point of clarification, which is Paul very well could have been feeling fear with his impending death coming. But there's a difference between having the feelings of fear and then moving forward and continuing on in what God has instructed us and cowering in timidity and shrinking back from our responsibility. God did not give us a spirit of timidity or cowardice. Instead, he has given us a spirit of power, love, and self-control. Those three together are from God and help us to combat our natural tendency to despair and to fear. What are some ways that you fear? I think one of the ways that we fear is we get anxious and we worry. Another way is we get paralyzed with fear. We won't take action. We don't do the things that we're supposed to do because we're just trying to work through that fear. We just 
bottle up and don't move forward. Another way is anger and rage. That are, they're often external expressions of feeling fearful. We're suspicious. We don't speak the truth in love. Either we hold back the truth or we dump it on people in a very unloving way. These ways that we manifest our fear come from a trapped mindset of a victim. But Paul gives Timothy the truth of God to break him loose from that trap. He unshackles him so that he has the power to overcome his fear. Though Timothy already had the spirit within him, he was forgetting the power of God. God parted the Red Seas. He raised Jesus from the dead. He said, with him, all things are possible. When he says that he has given you a a spirit of power, what does that mean to you? You see much around you to be discouraged. You might feel fearful, but his spirit can can give you the courage to move forward despite the opposition, despite the fears of inadequacy, despite fears of even danger, to move forward in what he has called you to do. You can do what is right because God has empowered you to do so. He has given you a spirit of power. He has also given you a spirit of love. 1 John 4, 7 through 8 tells us to love one another because love is from God and God is love. There's no greater motivation than love. If you're struggling to put your life or your gifts to use, then I would say first, rekindle your love with Christ. And then he will overfill you with his love. You can focus on your gifts and applying that to others. 1 John 4, 18, I call the fear killer verse says, for, in, for there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And also, God has given us a spirit of self-control. Lack of self-control for some of us can be an Achilles heel. Not being mindful of our time, not having control over our tongue or our emotions, how much work we do or don't do, how much we drink, how much sleep we get or how little sleep we get. All of these issues of self-control can be issues of idolatry and they make us ineffective. He requires our 100% devotion to him. And this 100% devotion to God requires balance and self-control. Turn to the spirit that he has given you to maintain self-control. Sometimes it is a matter of self-control not to slip into fear. To have the self-control not to dwell upon those things, but instead to walk in the power, in the spirit of power and love and self-discipline. 
Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 5. 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 5. For the love of Christ controls us. Again, the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So in these seven verses, these first seven verses of 2 Timothy, we have learned about the family of faith. We've learned about the gifts that God gives. We've learned about the spirit that he has given to us. Paul is calling us to a certain mindset that is going to help us tackle the verses and chapters that follow. What is your family like? Think about it. Think about your family right now. What is the state of it? If it is anything like mine, there's problems. There's sin. A lot of it is my sin. What about your church family? Sometimes this is more messy here than the family we live with. No matter how hard you try to get broken situations resolved, it seems like it doesn't stay fixed, right? The peace doesn't endure. Problems reoccur. And the gifts and abilities that you have You want to put them to practice, but you're so tired. You don't even know where to start. Do you have the spirit of power, love, and self-control directing your life, or are you still overcome with fear? Friends, would you admit with me? We fall short in our families and using our gifts to build his kingdom and to care for others and in walking in the power of his spirit. I fall short. On our own, our families are doomed. On our own, our church family has no hope. On our, on our own, our gifts and abilities, they're useless They have no benefit. On our own, we're still stuck, shuddering in fear. We were alone. Our homes were broken by our sin. We live lives selfishly for ourselves. We were never satisfied in our rebellion from God. And some of us who had enough sense to actually shudder in the fear of the guilt that we kept heaping and burying ourselves in, we couldn't even 
find the way out. We were stuck. But Jesus has not left us alone. He died for all of, all of this. He died for all of our sins. And he has also set everything right. He has created a new family of believers. And in this family, he shows us how to love and bless one another. And he gives us the spirit of power and love and self-control that actually enables us to live out this amazing new life and to live out the mission that he has called the church to. God unshackles the chains of guilt and fear and gives us the power to live in the victory that he has won. So as we prepare for communion, remember this is a meal for the family of believers and represents the body and blood of Christ who died for us. If you have not put your faith in Jesus as your Savior, you are not yet a part of this spiritual family, and the communion meal is not yet for you, but we invite you to put your faith in him, to share in the meal with us. And if this is your first time putting your faith in Christ and sharing this meal with us, please talk to someone after this service to know what this life is all about. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray.